0: This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you are joining us today for this podcast episode. This is a podcast for parents or anybody helping raise kids, and I hope you leave these conversations feeling like you got a big hug, a dose of encouragement, and I hope you know we are in this together. Today, my guest is Dr. Ariana Howitt, who works in pediatric primary care where she serves primarily Latino and Somali immigrant children. She's also the clinical assistant professor of pediatrics in the Department of Pediatric Psychology and Neuropsychology at Nationwide Children's Hospital in the Ohio State University. She is the clinical director for On Our Sleeves, which is an amazing resource. It is a movement for children's mental health. On Our Sleeves provides free resources. They help break stigmas and start conversation you can take action to support children's mental health today. And On Our Sleeves provides you with an incredible resource. Go to OnOurSleeves.org to learn more. I hope we answer some of your questions in this episode with Dr. Ariana Howitt. She helped me a lot understand how I can talk to my kids about hard things. And I hope we will all go support the mission of On Our Sleeves as well and utilize their resources. I mean, I think that that's something that we can really find a lot of value in. If you are enjoying this podcast, please leave us a quick rating interview on iTunes or wherever you listen. Uh, you are actually entered to win a pair of Gooder sunglasses when you do leave a rating interview, so you might as well. They are a sponsor of the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network, so once a month we draw a new winner to win a pair of Gooder sunglasses. We just sift through all the ratings and reviews and take a random winner so you might as well go enter to win by leaving a rating and review and that is a super helpful way potential new listeners might be able to find this podcast and you know my hope is that if it's helpful for you it can be helpful for other people in your community and your network so if you do enjoy this episode please feel free to share it we would really appreciate sharing it on social media you can tag us why is everyone yelling or you can tag me the host Lindsay Hind 626 on Instagram and uh, let us know what you think All right, friends, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Ariana Howitt. All right, I'm so excited today to have Dr. Ariana Howitt on the show. Welcome to the show, Dr. Howitt.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Really excited to have you here and so excited about the work you're doing. Can you explain to us a little bit about your background and how you became the clinical director at On Our Sleeves? Sure.
1: Um, it's been fun. It's been interesting. So I
0: am a pediatric
1: psychologist. Um, I was working in, pri- or am working in, in primary care prior to On Our Sleeves. And what drew me to primary care is really psychologists working in that setting, it's a really great way to increase access to mental health services. We know that about one in three visits to a primary care clinician is for a mental health question. Wow! And we also know that pediatricians are telling us we don't have the training to, to answer the questions we're getting. And so I was very interested in primary care because it allows me to meet families that day I can answer their question in that moment. And so it increases access. Um, It also increases health equity. We know that a lot of families of diverse backgrounds are going to the pediatrician, are going out into places in the community that they trust way before they're going to a mental health clinic. And so not only is it increasing access, but it's decreasing the stigma. The amount of times I've had someone say, oh, you're what a psychologist does. This is what it looks like. And then all of a sudden, you know, they'll tell their friend or their neighbor and it spreads that awareness of of how a psychologist can be helpful. So I I love it. I love working in primary care. And then the opportunity for Honor Sleeves came up and and it was the opportunity to take that at a national level, Um, bringing that education and awareness and evidence-based information out to every community in the U.S., being able to increase access decrease stigma uh was just something that i care about a lot and so i was very excited to join on our sleeves
0: gosh i i have so many thoughts and questions about working with a psychologist and you know i actually as an adult recently started seeing a therapist myself for the first time ever and I was thinking about this because in that moment that I finally broke down and thought, I need to go do this. I basically just went to the place a friend referred me to. Mm -hmm. They didn't take my insurance, but I said, I don't, I don't care. I will pay any dollar amount to feel better right now. I have to do something, but I didn't have the energy, right. To like research and do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I just went and how easy it was for me though, because I financially could do that. And I've been, I mean, I cannot get this off my mind that I had the capacity, the time, the Mm -hmm. money to go do that. And so I've been thinking about it with my own son, one of my kids who I think we need to, you know, go talk to someone and just, it sounds silly, but other people might resonate the work that goes into finding where to go. Where Mm -hmm. do I even begin? Will this be the right fit? And as you're talking, I didn't even know I could go to my child's pediatrician and say, "Do you have someone on on staff that mm-hmm. I can talk to?"
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's interesting because the this national stat is from the moment a f- symptom presents itself to the moment you're connected to therapy. It can be ten to eleven years on average. Yeah. yeah, wow. So, I mean, that's for many reasons, but part of it is if you if your child breaks a leg, you know exactly where to go. Mm-hmm. When you're worried about your child's behavior, their mood, their socializing, we don't yet like have a an a, a society-wide understanding of who do I go to, where do I get help, how do I navigate? And like you said, the the time and energy um, it takes to to navigate all of that it it can be on our sleep talks to to parents. Sometimes we do surveys from parents and. Um, a quote that always sticks out from, to me from a parent we spoke to that she described it as a full-time job navigating and advocating for her child's mental health and wellness. So it's a lot of work.
0: And as a parent, like as I walk through my own mental health challenges, it's like I want to very much make sure I'm not putting my child on the back burner, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's really complicated. Um can you share a little bit about your background being an immigrant to the United States and how that affected your own mental health?
1: Yeah, so um my family and I moved between Venezuela and the US a few times. So the first time we came I was 8 years old. Uh my dad was going to grad school so we came we knew it was limited time. We were here for 5 years. Um and that time was was fine. You know, kids are resilient and they tend to adapt really quickly. Um, and so I, I remember that time just, it was new and weird and, and, but it was fine. Um, I learned English at that age and, um, we moved back when I was 13 and then we're there for a couple of years and the, the grad program my dad had studied at offered him a job, uh, as a professor. So we came back when I was 15. So I was Mm -hmm. in the middle of my sophomore year. Um, truly in the middle. It was January. So the the second semester was starting. And that time was really difficult. Um, you know, that I would think back, I, I'd say that was kind of my first experience with depression. It was just um lack of interest in things, nothing was fun. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't really want to, um, all I did was go home and get online and talk to my friends back home in, in Venezuela. And so really, really tough. And I had a great support system in my family. But depression is depression. And no matter what they tried, it was it was just I was not feeling okay. And that that probably lasted for about five months, um, four or five months. And kind of what changed for me was my parents saying, Hey, you either start going to therapy, or um, we need you to go join a school activity. Because like I said, I was kind of going to school, coming back home, sitting on the computer all day, I was doing nothing. Um, and so it's funny, I'm now a psychologist, but at 15, I was like, absolutely, I'm not going to psych like a psychologist, I'm mm-hmm. not going to therapy, I turned it down. Um, I ended up joining the high school musical that year. And um that shift in doing something, doing an activity, which we know, um, there's, there's actually a therapy for depression called behavior activation. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, So doing something fun doing an activity. But then also, I started to meet the other kids in my school started to make friendships started to plan social events and slowly start to feel like I was a part of the school, I did have a group of friends. Um, And so slowly started to feel better and make a new life here. But it was definitely a a tough, um, experience
0: that transition. What is your data professor in or was he, he
1: is, um, he's a veterinarian, but he teaches public health, uh, diseases that go from animals to humans.
0: Okay. Well, I'm curious, like if your parents were like, how they supported you through that, they encouraged you to join that and, you know, sometimes people's parents don't, don't see it. They don't, they, you know, they aren't there. So, Mm um, I'm curious what that support system looked like and what you've taken from that as an adult.
1: Yeah. I think that, you know, it's interesting because most parents don't have training in mental health. Right. And so you may be able to identify a change in your child, but it's hard to know is that change because they're growing up, they're just a teen. Or is that change something I should be worried about? Mm -hmm. Um, I think because we had just moved, it was clear to them that big change in me that it wasn't just a developmental stage that, yeah, I moved to a new country and I wanted to do nothing. And before I was someone that was always out with friends and um, active. But I do think that it was, you know, in Latin America, we have very strong family communities. Everyone's kind of involved in everyone's business, in a way, but but to us, that's protective. That's helpful. It means you're not going through anything alone. You have your your parents, your siblings, but then your aunts, your cousins, your grandparents. Everyone's there to to support you through difficult moments. And so, even though it felt in that moment because of my depression that I was alone and isolated, and it felt very lonely, I still had them, and they were still planning activities. We were still doing things as a family um planning when i could go back and visit reconnecting me to the old friends from when i had lived in in the us the first time and so they they still did things to talk to me and stay involved and um i remember my mom because i again i would come downstairs like i would come to the house and we had the basement where the computer and the tv was um and i would sit and watch you know sad shows like a Dawson's Creek or something (laughs) like that. And I remember my mom would sit and watch those with me. And she probably was like, Oh, this is terrible TV. But um, she would sit and it would allow us to have conversations and be more connected. I think they knew exactly what I was feeling and exactly what I was thinking. And while again, maybe they couldn't get me out of it, they were very much in touch with, with what was going on. And, and I think that's what led them to finally say, Okay, this isn't you know this isn't okay and we have to make some changes.
0: How do you suggest parents talk to their kids about getting that conversation started? Like maybe we should talk to somebody.
1: Yeah. It's it's a hard conversation. Um at On Our Sleeves, uh on our website, on we have a whole section called Operation Conversation because this is the question that most people have is how do I get the conversation going? And so we have resources to help people start the conversation, but then most importantly, keep it going. Because I think most parents know to say something like, hey, I've been noticing, you know, you can point out X, Y, Z, I've been noticing you're not spending time with your friends anymore. I've been noticing your grades have dropped. I've noticed that you stopped doing all your extracurricular activities and just no judgment, just kind of stating the fact Mm. and then saying, I'm worried, you know, is there something going on? Um, Or is there something bothering you? Is there something I can help you with and just opening it up. And I think that step is hard. But what I see as a psychologist is what comes after that's harder, because then you're opening the conversation and your child may say something that's upsetting. And as adults, we have to really make it about them and really take that breath and calm our emotions, not get defensive, not overly worry because if we respond in a way that isn't fun to them, isn't reinforcing to them, then they're not going to keep talking and they're not going to come back to us in the future. So really taking that beat to listen, be fully present, let them guide the conversation, let them first tell you what what they think should be done. Um, ask if they're ready to hear your thoughts and advice. So that again, it feels reinforcing. It feels rewarding. Like that was a good conversation I just had with this adult in my life. And in the future, I'm going to keep coming back to them.
0: Gosh, that's so tricky. And so you had mentioned that your parents kind of were like going to do therapy or you got to get involved in something. And what did mm-hmm. you call that? The, um, the, the mode.
1: Yeah. So there is this, um, I think called behavior activation, which means doing pleasant activities. And you can break those pleasant activities down into things you do by yourself, um, things that you do socially, but then also it can be things that you value that just matter to you. And it can be things that bring mastery. Like I, I accomplish something, I feel proud. And we want behavioral activation to be a combination of all those things, right? Things that are challenging and fun and make you proud, but also things that help you relax and feel good. And just because you want to, things that are social. Um, and there's been research studies that show that behavior activation in itself is is a good treatment for depression. And so, you know, my parents didn't know that. They just knew that like, hey, my teen's in the basement all the time and they're doing nothing. That can't be good. Um, and so they, they it, it kind of, I accidentally fell into that behavior activation And well, now I'm out of the house every day after school because I have rehearsals and I'm, you know, I, it, it was the musical. So I'm dancing, I'm engaging, I'm I'm socializing. And so that, that led to that um, accidental behavior activation for me at the time.
0: Okay. So I'm so curious though, when a kid, I guess this is really age dependent, right? Because if your kid is like six, you <laughs> ha- you have a little bit more, um, I don't know what the word is, but like we're going to therapy, right? Your kid is 15. They can resist you a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious how we go about that, how you would suggest we go about that. And maybe the answer is different depending on the age. Yeah. I think I would
1: say less on the age and more on the situation. Okay. Of you want to find a change, right? Like my child's not okay. I'm worried. And and it depends on the severity, right? Like, you know, in my case, my parents could see that I was not doing a lot after school and I was kind of, you know, obviously sad, um, but I was still doing well in school. I wasn't harming myself in any way, I didn't have risky behaviors. And so in that case, if I'm seeing something like, okay, something needs to change, I'm a parent, I can try different things and see if it works. But let's say it, it's a really severe depression or anxiety, it's really impacting school success. It's really impacting their life. It's leading to risky behaviors. Then maybe in that case, I would say as a parent, you know what, no, we have to find a professional. Yeah. Um, so I think it depends on what you tried, what's working, and then the severity of what you're seeing in your child. And I, I also want to say that unfortunately, because there are a long wait lists, mm. when friends reach out to me about their own kids I often say, you know what, just, just call, just get on that wait list. And yes, try things in the meantime, but I hate for people to try things. It doesn't work. It gets worse. And then they call and now they have to wait. And so it's, it's really tough to navigate as a parent, that decision.
0: Okay. The wait list. Let's talk about that and like resources and accessibility and just like we started the conversation with that That first step of just getting in and how difficult that is, and I mean, especially if you're a single mom or you know you're working two jobs. I mean, there's so many factors there that I don't even have to walk through, and it still feels Mm -hmm. challenging.
1: Yeah, yeah. The first step is even figuring out who do I talk to. Yeah, Um, and that varies, right? There are places where there's really very few resources, so we always say. Raising kids is definitely like a team effort. Mm-hmm. So talking to the school and the teacher, um, talking to the pediatrician, talking to family members and neighbors, right? We want to hear like like your experience. You knew a friend that was going to therapy. And that's great that your friends share that. Cause a lot of the times what we find is people are taking their kids to therapy, like maybe my neighbor's doing it, but I don't know that. So I don't know to ask for help when it's when I need it because of the stigma, right? So um, I think the first step is starting that conversation, asking your community, your network for resources or help or recommendations. And then, and then likely you'll find, okay, here's this place, the conversation of insurance, how long is the wait list? And then once you get in, you have to assess fit because therapy only works if if the child and the parent feels comfortable with the
0: therapist. And so there's a lot of layers to it. All right, everybody, this episode of the podcast is supported by ZocDoc. Sometimes it's really hard to find a doctor, especially when you're in a rush. And there's nothing worse than going to a doctor's appointment and then realizing they don't take your insurance, they don't give you the attention that you need, their bedside manner isn't so great. And guess what? ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. I love it when you can just get those reviews. And with ZocDoc, there are no alarms and no surprises. Choose from thousands of patient-reviewed doctors and specialists, browse doctor profiles, upload and verify your insurance information, and get your care that you need. Go to ZocDoc.com yelling and download the ZocDoc app for free then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com, Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash yelling, ZocDoc.com slash yelling. All right, back to the show. I'm curious if we could walk through some pretty like basic level ways we could help a child who might be showing some severe anxiety, like maybe situational anxiety even.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, anxiety is interesting because we all feel it. It's human. Um, There is a difference between anxiety as an emotion and anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. And so again, like we were saying earlier, we have to figure out as parents of where is it? Is this your typical human anxiety I often tell um, patients that my job is not to make it go away. That's not realistic. Anxiety is what makes us get up in the morning when the alarm goes off and we don't want to wake up. Anxiety is what makes us study for that big test because I want to do well. Anxiety is what makes me not run across the street and be careful with cars, right? like It keeps us safe and it keeps us successful and going. So our goal really is to teach kids how to manage it, how to cope with it, how to live with it. Then there is the anxiety disorder, which is when it becomes impairing. Um, what I was talking about earlier with depression too, right? Like it gets to a point where I cannot do the things I want to do in my life successfully because I'm feeling so anxious. Um, and in that case, we have therapies that yeah. work really, really well, especially for kids to help them get to a place where they they can start living their life again. So as, as a parent, I think it's when we're talking about just, a, just a anxiety versus anxiety disorder, I would say the first recommendation is we can't keep kids from not feeling. You know, parents often have this fear of uh, I don't want them to be sad or nervous or uncomfortable, but that's not life. And, and that's not human, they're going to have those emotions. So how do we teach them to still do it afraid, mm-hmm. still do those things, despite the stress or fear or nerves that they're feeling? How do we teach them to calm the physical response of anxiety? How do we teach them to calm the mind? You know, anxiety, oftentimes comes from us thinking something bad's going to happen, I'm going to fail, I'm going to be made fun of whatever it is. So I always go back to the cognitive behavior therapy model where our thoughts are connected to our feelings and our feelings are connected to our behavior and then it just kind of cycles through. So as a parent understanding what my child is thinking and are those thoughts true, realistic, how can I challenge them? Um, And then is the emotion getting in the way of behavior and how can we encourage that behavior gently, um, safely, but still not let the anxiety be in control of, of what our choices are.
0: Gosh, it's, it's so crazy. Cause I've been talking about this a lot with my therapist, like that, the anxiety is always going to be there. It's, mm. it's how we live with it and manage it. And, you know, just, gosh, it's so wild. The things we've been talking about, but why do some people just not have it as much? It's, it's like not fair. <laughs> yeah.
1: And that's where I was saying earlier, there's so many factors, right? Yeah
0: genetics are a factor.
1: Yeah. And what anxiety is is our body's alarm system. It tells us when there's danger. Mm-hmm. And for some people genetically, their alarm system goes off when there is no danger. It goes off really easily. And we do know that there is a a um what's the word? like a genetic component in terms of like if my parent had anxiety, I'm more likely to have it. Um I have a 3-year-old and I see that she's definitely um a very anxious kiddo. And, and that runs in the family, you know? So we know that some kids are more at risk than others and some um, adults. So there is that genetic component of your body just activates a lot more easily to the perceived danger when maybe there isn't any.
0: Mm. So at, on our sleeves, you guys focus on working with underrepresented communities, people with diverse backgrounds. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that and the challenges people with a diverse background might face that a white person in America might not face? Sure, sure. So our mission
1: and On Our Sleeves is really to reach every community um, it with resources to help promote mental health and, and well-being of children. So really the way we think about how when you have a child, you're you kind of get a lot of information of how to keep them physically healthy, what they need to eat, how much they need to exercise, um, what to do if they have a fever, a broken bone, all of these. But they don't, we don't really get quite yet the support we need on how do I keep them mentally healthy? What are those daily habits I have to do to support my child's mental health? And so that's what we do at on our sleeves is we speak to the adults with children in their lives on what are those daily strategies that you can use to create that bubble, that protection around your child. And just like physical health, you know, you may feed your child the healthiest options and they may exercise and still get sick. Yeah. Like that may happen with mental health. And so in those cases, we do have information of what does that look like? How do I ask for help? What are the different kinds of therapy? What are the different kinds of of treatment providers? Um, And then in terms of diverse communities, we know that, um, again, it's the the different factors that impact your mental health. Kids from diverse backgrounds are subjected to more stressors sometimes, or the families, not just the kids. Um, And those systemic stressors uh, is going to place them at higher risk for their mental health being impacted. And so we want to make sure that we're reaching those communities and giving them strategies to support their children, not just your daily protective factors that we're talking about, but also how do I help my child deal with racism? How do I help my child deal with bullying? How do I talk to, to my child about, for example, violence in the media, things like that, to to give the families, again, the tools they need um, we talk a lot about, um, we talk a lot to immigrant families and and the different layers that a child that that's an immigrant may face when trying to adjust to a new culture. And so um, getting that, that education out there to families is really important.
0: Yeah. You know, my kids go to a pretty diverse school and they do have a lot of immigrant families in their school as well. And I always wonder how I should be communicating to my kids just about their relationships with these kids and how they can support them. And, you know, I, I think that my kids just look at them as their friends and their classmates Mm -hmm. and they're not overthinking anything. Um, so I'm just curious how we can teach our kids to be supportive Mm -hmm. and, and also just, you know, want it to be a natural thing where these are just my buddies, you know? Right.
1: Right. Yeah, we, we have resources. We have educational resources on that too. Like, I, I think that's a wonderful question of if I'm a parent of a child that has um, friends that are of different backgrounds, how do I talk about it? Um, because we know that, you know, a lot of the times you hear the term colorblind, I'm raising my child to be colorblind. And we know that that actually doesn't work, right? That yes, you want your child to feel like differences are good and yeah. and that we we all are um valuable and the same as humans. And at the same time, you want children to understand that people, because of their backgrounds, may be treated unfairly and may be treated differently and that they face different stressors than maybe, you know, I, I would face. And so having to teach that is is hard. And so we do offer those resources to help. How do I guide that conversation of Yes, teaching the value and also building empathy and kindness so that children understand what, what the reality is in in the world. Right.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I love that simple way that you just explained that, that you could simply say that to your kid
1: Mm -hmm.
0: about the other child facing different situations and more life stressors Mm -hmm. simply because of the color of their skin or their background. Right.
1: Right, kids understand fairness (laughs) from a very young age. Yeah, Um, you know, anyone with a toddler knows that. Like, that's not fair. Why do they get one? I get two, right? Or the other way around. But um, yeah, it's a concept that kids can can really understand at a very young age. And building that empathy of because of the way someone looks or how they identify um, Mm. can lead someone to be excluded um, or left out or even mistreated.
0: Yeah. The other thing with our kids is like teaching them to be an ally and standing up for other kids, um, which I don't know. Have you read the book? 14 talks before age 14. I have not. So Michelle Icard is the author. She's been on this um, show before. And, um, in this particular chapter of the book, she's not necessarily talking about race or Mm -hmm. anything like that, but, um, just talking about, kids can be scared to be the one to stand up even when they know that like what they see somebody else doing is wrong. And, um, she recommends, you know, like if you're too scared in that moment, you know, you're 10 years old and you're too scared in that moment
1: Mm -hmm.
0: to at least privately go over to this other kid and say, I saw what happened. It wasn't okay. Because it does feel like a lot of pressure to like be the person in the middle of a group to like, you know, jump out. And I always tell my kids, you know, to do that, but in that moment, as a young child with an underdeveloped brain, what are they gonna do?
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's hard for an adult yeah. I can I can think of so many situations where I have witnessed something um, you know, microaggression or something where I'm like, man, i I didn't like how that went. And then, as an adult, you're like, how do I bring that up? What do I say? Am I the person right? And so, for a child, um, at On Our Sleeves, we talk about it as bystander versus upstander. Okay. So to be an upstander in a bullying situation or in a microaggression situation, oh my gosh, that's a lot of pressure. Um, so I think the conversations at home are really helpful. The more a child um prepares for something, the more comfortable they're going to feel in that scenario. So even role-playing, <laughs> talking through it. Um, but safety is a big, big factor when it comes to children. So if if it really doesn't feel safe in that moment to speak up, exactly what you just described, talking individually to the other child. Um, we have um, recommendations of grabbing that child and say, hey, do you want to come and play over here? And then going somewhere that's near an adult and, you know, different things that a kid can do that may feel like less scary than speaking up and saying, Hey, don't say that, or that's not okay. Um, because it will depend on the situation and it'll depend on the kid's temperament and their personality. Like, again, mine's just three, but I know that with how, with how shy she is, I, it would be really hard for her to speak up in a situation like that, but she could grab her friend and
0: walk away and and do something like that, that helps that other kid not feel so alone. Totally. So if someone were to go to on our sleeves and maybe they're going there because they're like, I don't even know where to begin. Like, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll get, I'll give uh, my family situation, my, my child, one of my children, he's so well behaved at school. Like, you know, it's like one of those kids that the teachers are like, just he's wonderful and he's yeah. the, he gets the peer award and, you know, but man, when this anger hits at home, mm-hmm it gets, it's intense. And so you, you put off getting help because when it's good, it's fine. But then when it's bad, it's like, Whoa, this is scary. Like we need help. Yeah. What's the first step?
1: Um, you know, again, I think it depends. Like if you're at a place where it's like, I need to learn how to manage anger. Mm. Um, we have those resources, you know, everything at honorsleeps.org is free. Um, and so, and it's all, Created by the experts at Nationwide Children's Behavioral Health, so it, it's all based on science and things we know work. And so you can go on there, look on the search bar for anger, anger management, and and start learning of okay, here are things that maybe I haven't tried yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, if it's at a place where it's it, it it's more concerning and it, it's I I can't just manage at home anymore, then we also have those resources of how do I find therapy, how do I find support? Um, who do I call? And and but I would say definitely leaning on your community, your pediatrician, the school, for those resources. There's more and more partnerships um, between schools and, and mental health clinics and between primary care clinics and and mental health clinics. So I always say ask because you may be surprised that there's already that resource available.
0: I wanted to ask one more question on the the comment you had made about You know, we go to the doctor, we get all these checkups, you go, you go get your one year checkup, your two year, your 18 month, you get all your shots, all the things, but man, we don't talk about mental health and, you know, I don't know the facts, but I would assume the mental health crisis is a lot stronger than, you know, a kid being diagnosed with a rare disease, you know, and that you're getting screened for when you go to these physical Mm -hmm. checkups. Mm -hmm. And not that those physical checkups aren't important. They are. We got to get, you Uh know, we got to make sure everything's on track, but like what needs to change and why aren't we addressing this?
1: Yeah. I think integration, which is slowly happening, um, getting, whether it's a psychologist or social work or mental health counselor, getting the mental health professionals into the pediatrician's clinics. Yeah. Um, like I said, it's happening more and more because we know it's a need, um, integration is so important. We also, um, are moving towards a healthcare system where there's a lot of screening, like you mentioned. So the American Academy of Pediatrics already has recommendations for depression and anxiety screening. Um, the anxiety one is new as of last year, okay. but they do have these recommendations of, okay, beginning at age, I think anxiety, maybe 10 and depression, maybe 12. I, I think so. Um, and you may start seeing that as, uh, you know, as you take your kids, they're going to get that a little questionnaire, nine questions that ask them about different symptoms. And that serves as a screener of, okay, this child may be dealing with depression or anxiety. Now, the question is, and this is why I always say integration is, well, okay, if I'm a pediatrician and this child is positive on the screener what do I do? Yeah. Um, and some pediatricians feel really comfortable with that and some less so. Um, but if you already have that mental health person in your clinic, that's the best scenario. And, and that's a, a big part of what I do in my job is, hey, this kid's PHQ is the depression measure is positive. Can you go see them? And so then I can start that conversation with the family.
0: One other question I had about that is sometimes I wonder, I do think I have some genetic, you know, predisposition position to anxiety, but I feel like it was always just talked about, Oh, like Lindsay gets really anxious. So Lindsay's anxious. Mm -hmm. Lindsay doesn't like to fly. She's anxious. Mm -hmm. And I, it makes me nervous to label things like that to my son, because I'm afraid if I speak it too much, he's going to associate like, this is who I am.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's the difference of saying someone is versus someone has, right? Like you are feeling anxious right now versus you are anxious, right? Because then it becomes you. Um, we notice that. I mean, I'm a psychologist is what I do. And I still do it because it yeah. takes practice. Um, I mentioned my daughter is shy, right? Yeah. That's me labeling her. And at a very young age, we once, I don't know, we were interacting with someone, she refused to talk to them. And when we walked away, I was like, why, why didn't you say hi? And she said, well, Mila's shy. And I was like, oh, so from that moment on, I was like, we are not saying that around her ever again yeah um, because it does become like this is who I am versus this is an emotion I have yeah um so you, being careful with our language and validating like yeah it's of course you're feeling nervous that's okay how do we deal with it how do we still do this thing right what do you need to do um and really like I mentioned earlier really um encouraging kids to continue doing the things despite their fear slowly, gently, but um, I I see so often where parents just kind of like, okay, you don't have to do that because you're nervous. And it, it makes the anxiety grow. So starting at a very young age, like with my daughter, she I could, I noticed that a lot of her peers at daycare were doing this, like going up in front of the class and singing a song. And I noticed that I would never get a video of her doing it. I asked and she was like, no, I don't want to do that. So then I told her teacher, please call her up and make her do it. Yeah. Um, and it it may sound like really like, but she did it once and she loved it and then was always volunteering. And that's how anxiety works. Like you just have to try it. Notice that nothing went wrong. It wasn't as bad as I thought. And then you feel more confident to keep doing things.
0: It's so funny. You mentioned that my Two of my kids, like when they are in programs at school up on stage in preschool, my four year old, he just looks down the whole time. Mm -hmm. He won't look every single other kid in that class is singing. And it's so funny because he's one of four and he's very like outgoing and like Mm -hmm. rambunctious and he just like head down. And I'm like, where does that even come from? I certainly have not labeled him as like shy or anything like that. I simply because in the hustle and bustle of all the kids, like he's just, you know, Mm Um, but yeah, that's so interesting. I wonder where that even comes from.
1: Yeah. And as they get older, you can start to ask, right? Like at three, I can't ask her, what do you think is going to happen? She doesn't have the language yet to tell me. Um, but as they get older, you can start to ask like, what is making you nervous? What do you think will happen when you do that? And you can start the thought challenging part. I use the movie Inside Out a lot in therapy. Okay. So I'll ask kids like what's the little purple fear guy saying and what would joy say back to the purple mm-hmm. guy? And then have that conversation. But um when they're young it's all behavioral, right? And it's it's encouraging them to do those things, despite the fear. And maybe you're supporting them. Maybe you're standing next to them or whatever it takes. But as long as you're making baby steps forward versus running away from it, that's great. And what
0: do you say to them to do the thing that they might be fearful of? You know, we don't
1: want to over, um, like over talk about it or over, um, Oh, I'm, I'm missing the word, but like, it's okay. It's fine. There's nothing to be afraid of because then they're like, wait, there is some why is my parent talking about it so much? This must be a scary thing. Uh So It's just kind of matter of fact, like, "Yep, yeah, we're gonna go, you're gonna sing days of the week song and and your teacher's going to call you up and you're gonna sing it or, you know, sometimes she is afraid to go play in a play space with so many kids. And that's okay, we'll just be more careful. I'm standing right here. Or if I can, do you want me to go up with you the first time? And just again, validate like, yep, it's okay to feel nervous. There are a lot of kids here and we're going to go and do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then it's like validating the emotion, but then pushing the behavior. That makes sense.
0: Oh yeah. It reminds me of, um, when I had my first baby, I had a C-section and it was a scheduled C-section. Um, so it wasn't traumatic as far Mm -hmm. as like that, but I was, I was almost about to pass out. Like I was getting really nervous because I'd never had surgery before. And that's just how you did. That was exactly what my doctor did to me. (laughs) Okay. So it was like, we're not gonna talk about it anymore. Like we're gonna you know it's just like carried it. I'm like, oh my gosh, she was using those skills for you know a grown adult woman who was yeah. scared to go into surgery.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's kids are just little adults, right? Yeah. They all, they feel emotion in the same way. They just have a harder time telling us why.
0: So um on our sleeves, I'm I'm so I was in spin class on Saturday and I just kept thinking about this because I had sent you the email to kind of like give some prep questions for this interview and thinking about my own therapy and how access could be so overwhelming and, Mm -hmm. and whatnot. So what you guys are doing is, is just incredible. How can we support on our sleeves? Where do you get support from and what, what do you need?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So two things we want to get our resources out. So spreading the word, um, We have an e-community that you can sign up for and you can get an email once a week. That's And it's always a new resource that we sent out. Um, Our social channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever you use, following us there and and sharing our content because we want to get our information out there. Um, Another part of it is that we are a free resource. And to stay free, we do need the financial support. Um, so if you go on our website, there's information there. If you want to host a fundraiser for honor sleeves, you can be a monthly donor and there's a shirt that that's really cool if you become a monthly donor. Um, so so whatever that may look like, whether it's a one-time contribution, the monthly, or it's hosting a fundraising event, that is always um amazing. And it's what keeps us being able to keep these resources free.
0: Awesome. Okay, we're gonna link to that in the show notes couple in a podcast questions. What's something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet?
1: Oh, that I haven't done yet. Personally, it always comes back to travel. Like I feel like there's so many different places I haven't been to yet. Um, on my mind recently has been Costa Rica. My dad has been and talks a lot about it. So I think, yeah, I, I, there's so many places on my list of places that I, I want to go to.
0: And you have a daughter. Do you have like a trip or a place that you've enjoyed taking her that you would recommend?
1: So we um, have not traveled a lot with her because she was born three months before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and So um, we did go. Um, I have a lot. Most of my family lives in Orlando. So we have done the Disney World trip. And I I actually did enjoy it. She she went. She was about two and a half. Okay. And most people say that's really young. Like they won't yeah. remember it. Um, But I enjoyed that age because everything, like she still thought everything was real, you know, like she didn't realize that's a person in a costume. Um, I would not recommend it in the summer like we did. (laughs) It was really hot. Um, But I did enjoy the magic of taking her at a very young age of, of, you know, her thinking that those were really the, the characters from the movie and she still talks about it. So
0: fun. Do you have a best, most recent book you recommend?
1: You know, I have it's not a most recent, and I wonder if I have it um because I want to make sure I'm giving the right. I think it's called Baby411. Let me look. I think I have it right here. Okay. So this is not mental health related, which is funny because we always talk about how kids come with the the a lot of information medically, but baby 411 was the book that got us through infancy anytime we were stressed out new parents um and we're like is her breathing normal is the skin of her color normal you know all those questions um baby 411 got us through and maybe one day we can have one that's all related to behavior and development and mental health but um that's the book that anytime a friend um is expecting i send out to them
0: (laughs) did you the like sleep feed play sleep feed play
1: I mean everything it's like uh, it's it's huge it's like this big book
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and just yeah any question you may have about anything medical mm. and it explains it in a not so scary way
0: I love that um yeah I've noticed our trips to the doctor have been way fewer as my kids get older cuz yeah. when the babies get sick it's so scary. It's you know? so scary. It's just a total day, they can't communicate. It, yeah.
1: Yeah. Like the first few days at home, I was like, why is she breathing like that? Right. It's this panic and it's like uh, normal. You know, so you're sitting there counting breaths per second and or minute and all of this stuff. And um, you know, it it is terrifying as a parent. And so this this book helped our our fears a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because especially with your first baby, those fears are Real. I mean, they are real. I I don't yeah. want to go back there ever again. Yeah. Yes, I feel indeed. you if you're listening, and this you have a baby for the first <laughs> time because yeah, it's totally normal.
1: Yeah, know that it's normal. Yeah. I have friends that I'm like, is it like, I, do I have anxiety? Like, do I have an anxiety disorder? And it's like, you're just a new mom.
0: <laughs> Postpartum. Yeah. 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 I mean, it got so much better with each baby for me, but that first one, I was I was terrified to go to sleep because I was like. Mm-hmm. What if he doesn't wake up? You know, it's right. just all the things. Right. Yeah. Um, and some of that is just like you have to let go of what you can't control. You you have to sleep. <laughs> like, yeah. You yeah. can't function. Yeah. Um. So, what is your last message to leave with our audience today? I would
1: say parenting is hard. Um. As we were just talking about, parenting can be really stressful. Um. It can also be really fun. I I talked to my colleagues here at On Our Sleeves that I've never felt such extreme emotions until becoming a parent. Um, and most of us were not raised talking about mental health. And so as you're trying to learn all these parenting things like how to keep my child breathing and growing and what to feed them um we're here to support you in how do I talk to them how do I form a healthy relationship? How do I help them learn about emotions? Um, how do I help them be kind to others, create healthy social relationships? Um, so we're here to hopefully make those scary questions a little bit more approachable.
0: Thank you so much. I am so grateful that you spent an hour of your day talking to us and I, I cannot wait to get this resource out to everybody. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for being here today. Uh, This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. Learn more about all the shows in our network, including All Have Another with Lindsay Hine, the Ready to Run podcast, the Urban Pharmacy podcast, and the Illuminate podcast. When you go to sandyboyproductions.com, you can learn all about those shows and our hosts over there. Uh, don't forget to leave us a quick rating and review if you enjoyed this podcast to be entered to win a pair of gooder sunglasses. Thank you, Dr. Ariana Howitt, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and for all the great work you're doing at On Our Sleeves. You can find Dr. Ariana Howitt on Instagram. She is Ariana Hoet, PhD over there. And of course, On Our Sleeves, check them out as well. Onoursleeves.org is their website. Thanks for being here. I would love to connect with you. I'm lindsayhine626 on Instagram, at lindsayhine on Twitter. And if you er ever have anything you'd like to bring up for this podcast, send me an email, lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com. Thanks so much for being here. And we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?